Great, thank you so much. I don't know why, I was just really struck by those words. I was singing that song, those words, I had to write them down. And the church of Christ, these were powerful words. And it was really a prayer of my heart, actually. But these words stated as we sung them just before, and the church of Christ was born. And I love this, this, um, this line here. Then the Spirit lit the flame. The Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old, shall not kneel, shall not faint. I was really struck by those words because I couldn't help but think, yeah, do it again, Lord. Do it again, Lord. That the Spirit lit the flame and his church grew, his church flourished, and his, his church, God's church continues to grow today. But that, that's our prayer, isn't it? That he might ignite and fan into flames the fire and the hunger and the passion uh, for him. Uh, and, and, you know, what a night as well as we engage in this 10 days of prayer, a desire to seek him and to honor him and to say, God, we desire you. We long for you. We want you. We can't, without him, we can do nothing. Without him, we can do nothing. And uh, that's what we desire. So God, speak to us tonight. And, you know, you know, we want to respond to you tonight. You know, that's our heart and our desire. And so speak to us tonight, we pray. Move in our hearts, we ask, great God, in your precious name, amen. I remember a little while ago now, um, uh, I had asked my mum if she could record a particular, I think it was a tennis match from memory, I don't remember super clearly, but it was a tennis match, I think, from memory, a particular match I wanted to watch, it was a final of a major open, or, and, um, and you know we couldn't record it, and it was obviously overseas, one of the opens overseas, so it was an unusual time to watch it, and I said, can you just record it so I can just watch it, I really want to see uh, who wins this tennis match. And she said, yep, no worries at all. And uh, she recorded. The next day I'd spoken to my mum and I was very careful because, I don't know, I feel like mum can just kind of slip things out of the bag, you know, pretty easily. And I did not want to know. I did not want to know the result. I just wanted to watch it and just see the outcome as if it was in real time. And, uh, and so I spoke to my mum and said, mum, don't say anything. Don't hint to anything. Anyway, um, I think for a memory, long story short, I, I, I went over there or something like that. I went over to my parents' house and I went to watch it and she made a comment that I just was like, it frustrated me because it was so clear who won and I hadn't even watched it yet and it was so frustrating and I even made some comments to mum. She said, I didn't say anything. I didn't say anything. I said, oh, you, mum, you've said enough, you know? And, uh, and, but it's a funny thing because I think the person that I was wanting to win did end up winning the match. Uh, but even as I was watching this tennis match, the funny thing when you sort of have a pretty good idea of the outcome, because I actually watched it and there were moments where I thought, oh no, like he's, he's losing a set, that's not good, you know, it's not going well. But I think deep down I had a confidence that, no, I'm pretty sure I know he wins, you know. So it was kind of good as well when you know that actually I don't need to really worry too much, you know, I don't need really uh, to be too concerned. And I think there's moments in life, there's something valuable about knowing the outcome or something. There's a sense of peace that comes with that when you know the outcome. And you know, Billy Graham, one of the greatest evangelists, and he's passed away now, but a phenomenal evangelist, one of the greatest, you know, more recent evangelists, he states this, particularly referring to death, but he states this, he's got this great quote and he talks about, hey, I've read the last page of the Bible, it all works out okay. And it's a great quote because what he's really saying is, is when you know the outcome of your life, you, when you know where you're heading, when you walk around with a deep confidence and a deep assurance, it changes everything. It really does change everything. And you can walk with a peace in your heart. You can walk with a confidence in your heart. It changes who you are. It changes the way that you live your life. It's, it's an amazing thing. Now, we are in this series at the moment in Romans, and Paul, he actually goes through, we're up to chapter 5, and he actually goes through and he talks about, uh, and he outlines and he gives some amazing principles at the start of chapter five that we're going to have a look at tonight. Um, in a way, actually, and just saying this up front, but even the way that I'm preaching tonight, I wouldn't normally preach like this, but we're going to go through verse uh, by verse because there's so much gold in what Paul outlines here. And there's probably quite a few sermons, actually, in just this one sermon. But, but we're going to look at these amazing principles that Paul outlines, and it just gives us confidence. It gives us assurance that if uh, you're here tonight, you'd say you're a Christian, the assurance that it brings to your life is amazing. But you know, even if you're not a Christian here tonight and you're saying, oh, I'm exploring, or you're watching online and you're listening and you're exploring around faith, 
that to be able to have an opportunity to put your faith and your confidence in this, it can change everything for you tonight. And tonight I'm gonna give you an opportunity to do that, to say, yeah, I need this in my life. Cause you know you do. Even the fact that you're on a journey and you're listening, you probably know deep down in your heart, you need something, you need a greater peace. You need a, um, a deeper purpose to your life. You know you need help deep down in your heart. And as Paul describes here in chapter five, uh, you, can, you can have assurance in God. It's a really amazing thing. Now, as I looked at chapter uh, five, verse one in particular, I couldn't help but notice Paul begins with this word, therefore. Often when we say therefore, it's coming off the back of another line prior to that. And, uh, and so I flicked back to chapter four and I realized it's actually probably important to read this verse as well. It's the last verse in chapter four. In verse 25, because you've got to understand, it wasn't like Paul was writing these letters. You know, we've allocated the Bible as it is into different sometimes headings and verses and things like that. He wasn't writing a letter, you know, putting, oh, I'll put a little verse number here and oh, another one there maybe. Um, and so he writes this in chapter 4, uh, uh, 25, talking about Jesus. He says this, he was delivered over to death. It's quite powerful. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And that's when he goes on in chapter five to continue. He says, therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Here, uh, here Paul's talking about that you can have an absolute peace in God because of what Christ has done for us. It's an uh, extraordinary thing. That word justification, that, you, that you've been justified through faith, justified through what Christ has done. Now, I think, was it a couple of weeks ago, I think I was preaching and I was talking about this very principle about, we know we wanna serve a just God, but we wanna serve a merciful God. A merciful God is one that doesn't give us what we deserve, which is quite incredible. We receive his mercy. mercy. Uh, but a just God is one that uh, you do receive what you deserve because that's, that's justice. And so uh, here, there's this uh, illustration that I told a couple of weeks ago about you know the, the judge and uh, it's, it's as if we were to stand before a judge and uh, you know the consequences of our sin means that there's a price that needs to be paid. That's just the reality of life in which we live. When we do something wrong, there's consequences to that. But the amazing thing is that we can stand before God justified. You see, a price needs to be paid, but because Christ stepped in and pays the fine on our behalf, um, we can now stand before God with that being justified. And that's what Paul's referring to here that if you put your faith and your trust in Christ and acknowledge what he's done and say, it's only because of Christ that you can stand before a holy and righteous God justified before him, which is an amazing thing because if you think about it in our culture today, so many people, we, we always feel guilty for all sorts of things we've done. We know we've often fallen short or done things wrong. We know that in our culture today, people say, oh, well, if there's a perfect and holy and righteous God, are you, oh, you know, there's probably a few good things I'd have to do to earn in his favour or something like that. There's this mentality out there because we know we're not perfect. We know we fall short. But actually, when we put our trust and faith in Jesus, we can stand before him justified before God. That's an amazing thing to wake up every single morning to know that regardless of the sin that you're currently involved in, regardless even of your future sin, that it's all being dealt with on the cross because of Christ and that you can stand before a holy God justified. That's an amazing, amazing thing. The confidence, the deep inner peace that that brings to your heart is uh, extraordinary. And so that's what Paul's talking about here, that we can have a peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. A peace, a deep inner peace to know. I mean, you know, some of you have wrestled with this for many years. You've heard about it. You've grown up uh, in church uh, maybe before and there's still something in you that says, I still need to impress God. I know it's about Jesus, but you feel in your heart, I still need to just, I just need to convince you that I'm worthy. How many of you have, have, uh, have lived your life with this sense of, I just need to, to prove myself to others that I'm a person of value. But this is the powerful thing about the peace of God, to know you're in right standing, is, is that you don't need to prove yourself to him. You know, every single one of us are all in the same boat. All of humanity is in the same boat. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We don't need to prove ourselves. We just need to accept the free gift that's on offer through Christ. And we can have the deep inner peace. You know what our soul so desperately longs for? The deep inner peace that our heart longs for. And this is what Paul's saying. You know, uh, one of my favorite movies, anyone seen Forrest Gump here? Um, Oh, come on, like surely there's got to be more. Like, anyone seen Forrest Gump? You got to, like Forrest Gump? Yeah, yes, yes. Just thought there was a few more. 
Um, great movie, obviously based on a true story. And uh, No, I'm joking, it's not based on a true story. Uh, uh, but uh, but it's an it's a interesting movie. Anyway, when I was thinking about the peace of God, I couldn't help but I was reminded of Lieutenant Dan. You remember Lieutenant Dan? And um, It's not a spoiler alert. You should go watch the movie. It's quite an interesting movie. Uh, but... But at one point when uh, Lieutenant Dan joins Forrest Gump on this shrimping business and endeavor that he's, he's joined on, Lieutenant Dan always had this angst and this anger and this frustration towards God. But on this one powerful moment, Lieutenant Dan's, Dan, he spoke better than I can, but um, he turned to Forrest Gump and he said, hey, Forrest, I never thank you for saving my life in war. And uh, Forrest Gump says this line, he said, you know, I think that in that moment, Lieutenant Dan found his peace with God. And I was reminded of that as I was thinking about that. And you too can find your peace with God. You know when there's an angst in a relationship or a breakdown in a relationship, but to experience a peace and a deep assurance and a deep comfort, man, it changes everything. And this is what Paul's talking about here. But it comes through Christ. That's the key. It comes through Christ. And he continues on in verse 2 and he says, Through whom... So the, the, the peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. So he says the access, we can have access to God, access to his grace to God uh, because of Christ. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to know you can have just complete and full access to the creator of the universe. It just blows my mind when we look at creation, look at the world around us, look at how big and mighty and powerful our God is that he spoke the world into being. And Paul says, when you're in Christ, you have absolute access to him. You don't need to plead and you don't need to beg and you don't need to do all these good things to get into access with God. You can come straight before uh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He's a mighty God, but we get free access. You know, Andrew um, was preaching this morning on this very chapter and Gee, what a blessing to follow the exact same chapter at night as in the morning because, you know, they preach in great illustrations and I think, oh yeah, I'll take that, beautiful. Um, and so that's what I did this morning. But Andrew gave this great illustration and I'll share it with you, but at least I'm honouring that it was Andrew's first, you know, I'm doing the right thing. Uh, but um, he talks about a young guy that was in war, this, uh, you know, true story, he was at war and uh, he was at war and he had heard on the front lines of war uh, that his father and his brother, I think it was, had been you know, out of the blue killed back home or died back home. And he was obviously very impacted by this and he wanted to go home. He desperately wanted to leave war, go back home to comfort his mother and his sister, to be with them, to mourn. And uh, he found his way back um, uh, at the, uh, the uh, president's uh, residence and uh, he tried to get into... Um, uh, he tried to get in the presence, residence there and he, he got to the gates and tried to get in and, uh, you know, security said, you know, there's no way you can get access here. And he, told, he explained his situation. He said, listen, this is what's happened. And I just want to get, um, what would you call it? I want to I come off the front lines of war and I want to go home just for a little bit to comfort my mom, my sister. And they said, listen, the president, we're at war at the moment, which obviously he knew, but he said, the president is an incredibly busy man and uh, he can't see you. He can't talk to you. He doesn't have time for that. This man walked away very despondent, very downcast, devastated the whole situation. But there was a little boy, and I don't understand the full uh, circumstances, but he came across this man who was sitting on this uh, bench, devastated and brokenhearted around the situation. And uh, this boy introduced himself, and they chatted, and he explained the situation. He said, well, come with me. This little boy said, come with me. He took this man straight through the gates um, at the, the president's uh, presidency there, straight through the gates. He opened the doors and got uh, straight through. Then he took this man through the corridors of um, the president, you know, residence there. Then he got to the doors of the Oval Office, the very doors in which he opened to get into the, uh, to see the president. He walked straight through these doors and walked straight up to uh, President Lincoln. And, uh, you know, President Lincoln at that time, he turned and looked at this little boy, which actually was his son. And he said, Todd, you better introduce him to your friend here. And Todd introduced him to his friend. He uh, explained the situation. And President Lincoln, uh, you know, he was able to come off at the front line of war and go home and to uh, visit his family. But the principle is this, is that there's no way, there's so many people couldn't get access to, you know, President Lincoln. There's no way. But here's this little boy that gets direct access to his father. Why? Because he's a son. He's a child of the president. He has full access to his father. 
In the same way, the principle applies for you and for me, that when you understand your identity in Christ, when you understand when you surrender your heart, you get full access to your heavenly Father. It's a remarkable thing. Jesus made a way so that we could have that access. It's extraordinary. You know, I remember um, I've, um, <coughs> excuse me, I've uh, done schoolies for many years now through Red Frogs and part of my role in the more, you know, um, recent years, part of my role is to take, you know, uh, key sponsors or pastors or politicians um, around uh, on a, just a few of the nights uh, to, for a bit of a tour to see what Red Frogs does, particularly during schoolies week. And uh, we show them the call center, we show them the main headquarters there, we show them the... Uh, the um, uh, and then out on the streets, we take him out on the streets and entertainment and the, um, the walk-home tent and all these sorts of things. Uh, on one particular night, we also take him down to the entertainment, the main stage, where Red Frogs has a stage on the beach and he's uh, young people partying. And uh, on this one particular night, I had a small group with me. And uh, as always, I went to the gates to get access to the main stage there. I went to the gates, there's a security guard there. And I said, oh, we're just coming down uh, to you know, check out the stage and things. And he was like, no, you're not coming here, mate. You've got absolutely no access. And I thought, oh, no, okay, this is a bit awkward. And I had these people with me. And I rang my mate who helped overlook the entertainment team. And he went up and spoke to the security guard. And we were able to get in. And, and uh, we got in. The following night, as I was chatting to the Red Frog guys, I said, oh, we're so sorry. We've got to get you an access pass. And uh, the following night, they gave me this access, all areas access pass. Well, the following night, I had a group. I went straight up to that, uh, to the, to the, for the, to the fence there and met the same security guard. You know, the response was radically different. I said, oh, we'll come in here. And all I had to do was I just had to show him my access card. All that, oh, yep, no worries, come straight through. And, uh, and, you know, we were able to go down the ramp and see the main stage. Uh, and it also gave access to the stage, which I didn't really want to go on. But, uh, uh, but you know, what was the difference there? It was the all-access pass. And in a way, this is, what, this is what Paul is saying here, is that Christ has given us this all-access pass directly into our Heavenly Father. It's an incredible thing. In Christ, you have full access to the Father. It's amazing. And so Paul says, through uh, whom we have gained access by faith into this grace, it's which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. You know, the other thing I was going to say is this is that this also, this changes our identity too. That when we realize that we have access to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that when we know that we're a child of the living God, I mean, it changes everything for us to wake up every morning to know, wow, like, like God knows me, God values me. I don't need to prove anything to Him. Man, to walk in that is amazing. You realize if you've surrendered your heart and your life to Christ that you're a King's kid. You're a King's kid. You haven't thought about that before maybe, but you're a child of the living God. It's amazing. And that's your identity in Christ. And so Paul says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Now this boasting, he's not talking about an arrogant sort of boasting or anything like that, but a, a quiet confidence, a boasting in the goodness of God. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So it's not an arrogant boasting that Paul's talking about here. It's like, oh, I'm a Christian and I know, you know God and I know that there's a future hope. And, and you know, it, it's, not, it's not a sense of arrogance, but it's this sense in which when you've discovered and when you've encountered something so good, you know how you sort of can't help but talk about it? You know when you discover something really valuable and you think, this is incredible, you just tell others. And this is what Paul's implying here, that we boast about the glory of God. When you discover how amazing God is, you can't help but tell others about it and talk uh, to others about it. Some of you experienced this, you know, maybe many years ago. Some of you might be right in the midst of it. Have you ever, or have you ever come across a person that's newly in love with a boyfriend or a girlfriend? And I mean... It doesn't matter which topic you're talking about. They will somehow talk about their boyfriend or their girlfriend. They'll boast about them. Now, why? Because they just think they're incredible and they're amazing. They just love them and they're just overwhelmed and all these emotions. And it's this, this boasting about this person. And this is what Paul's implying here. This is what he's saying, that when you encounter Christ and when you discover everything he's done for you, there's this healthy um, boasting that you can't help but tell others uh, about. Um, you know, I, um, last week, and you can probably tell uh, with my voice, I was a bit crook last week, or not a bit. I mean, it was like a serious man flu, like, you know, say no more. So you can imagine, yeah. And, um, and so, you know, I was laying in bed. It's a funny thing. I was only in bed for like maybe four or five days. And um, yeah, yeah, a long time, isn't it? Yeah, I know. That's very, it's a, it was a tough gig. Um, 
But um, I honestly, it's, I honestly thought, man, I feel like I've been in here for a month. You know what I mean? Like this has been horrible and I'm just laying here, I can't do anything. And the days go so slow and I'm like, man, everyone's lives have moved on and people have probably had kids and oh man, like, you know, all these sorts of things. But I admit as I was laying in bed for a few days there, <coughs> um, yes, I looked on my phone and I, I kind of, yes, I may have fallen down a rabbit hole of YouTube clips of all sorts of things. I, I get it and and, um, but but there was, it was educational, at least, you know, um, because I fell down this rabbit hole of clips of people that had, like, died, had these, these experiences of dying and going to heaven and then coming back. And honestly, it was, um, it was quite powerful, like, hearing as they recount and talk about their stories and, you know, what they saw and the colors, like, undescribable, and the people they connected with, and the, the overwhelming sense of love. Like, they almost spoke as if they were devastated when they came back. Like, it was really powerful, actually, listening to these stories. Really quite powerful. You, should, you can check it out sometime if you want. Um, but um, um, an amazing thing. And it was just like, when you, when you encounter that, you can't help but talk about it. And, uh, you know, Tamara mentioned this uh, as well before, but in just a little while... Uh, you know, we're doing a Young Adults Conference, Scent Conference, and uh, we've got some just amazing people coming out and sharing this conference. It'd just be amazing to gather together as young adults and to be inspired, encouraged, and stirred. But, you know, one of these guys that's going to be coming out, Sid Tapia, and uh, he's got an amazing story, and he was a former professional skateboarder all through his teenage and 20, 20s uh, as well, and very well known throughout Australia. And um, his career now is a full-time uh, painter, um, but he, um, like, he does murals, incredible murals, big walls. He does a lot for NRL and all sorts of things. It's just an amazing journey and story. And he's won some of the most prestigious prizes in Australia for his paintings and things like that. Amazing journey. But he had a radical transformation at 25 years old, and I won't go into detail. But I just happened to, I wanted to learn more about his story, and I just happened to come across a podcast that he was on, and it wasn't a Christian podcast or anything like that. But as he was sharing with this guy, I couldn't help, I just experience and listen to a guy that just so naturally boasted, that's the best way I can just boasted about his God, boasted about what God has done in and through his life. And he talked about the transformation. He talked about how God changes his life still to this day, how because of God, he wants to be a good father. He wants to be a good husband. He wants to give back to the community, all these sorts of things. And I was reminded of that as Paul talks here about, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And as I was listening to this podcast, I thought, man, here's a guy that just is sharing so confidently and so naturally around the glory of God and what he's done in his life. It was an amazing thing. And, you know, it's so amazing because even the person who was interviewing him was just like, tell me more. Like, tell me more about that. It wasn't a Christian guy or anything, but I wanted to know more. And Paul talks about here the hope. We boast in the hope and the glory of God. He goes on to say, but not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Now, I was intrigued by this. I was really moved by this. But we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character hope. We were looking at this at Connect Group on Tuesday night and I, I was struck by this because I was like, it kind of seems a bit out of the blue that not only do we glory in the hope that we have in God, but Paul talks about, but we also glory in our sufferings. And I was thinking about this a little bit, and I thought, this is key, I reckon, in our culture today. I think in our culture today, there's such a push and there's such an emphasis that life is all about, if, you know, we've become so secular a society that there's no God and there's no future life after this life, and that's what's, uh, you know, drilled, and that's kind of what I think is, is prevalent in our culture today. And so if that's the case, it's like there's this tendency for people to say, you just got to live your best life now. Like, just make the most of it because this is all there is. And, and, you know, like, you just have incredible experiences, have an incredible life and all those sorts of things. The problem is, is that how do you deal with suffering if that's the case? If there's no God, if there's nothing more, if there's no purpose in suffering, then how do you deal with that? Because I'm sure there's circumstances and incidences in people's lives that maybe believe that there's no, no afterlife, that there's no God. And they come across suffering in their life. And if there's no purpose in suffering, the question that we often ask is, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And it's not a helpful question to really ask because if there's no more, and in some situations, people may have uh, you know, some um, lifelong injuries that take place. They may injure themselves in a way that radically changes their life forever. And so how do you deal with that? How do you deal with the suffering? It just seems like that then there's no purpose in suffering, no meaning whatsoever. And it can see, it, it's so depressing 
So depressing if that's the case. So depressing if there's no meaning to suffering and, and that, that this is all there, there is to life. It's just like you can keep asking, why is this happening? Why is this happening? But it's, it's, it's pretty unhelpful. And I think we need to ask a new question. It's not why is this happening, but what is God doing through this? What is God doing through this? And you know, it changes everything. Because if, I think that's so important. Because if there's no, nothing after this life and this all there is, if there's no higher being, if there's no God that, uh, that, that has, you know, is doing something in the midst of suffering, then suffering can be very meaningless. But I tell you what, if you believe in God, then you realize that actually there's purpose and there's meaning in suffering. And I know it's hard and I'm not you know, saying it's not hard and you've been through some extraordinary things, but there is, it's not meaningless. He's doing something through it. He's doing something through it. I know many of you could even testify this very night as you come up and you've experienced that in your life. Maybe in the past where you've gone through some things and you realize now, you know what? It formed me. It formed me in a way that if I didn't go through that suffering, if I didn't go through those things, I wouldn't be the person that I am today. It built resilience in you. It built character in you. It built perseverance in you. This is what Paul's saying. It's an incredible thing. You see, there's meaning in suffering and this is what Paul's saying here. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that the suffering produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. You see, there's more to this life. And, and that means that we can go through this life and we may suffer things and go through things, but there is still a hope. Why? Because not only is God doing something in the midst of it, but we know there's a future glory. We know there's a future hope. That this life isn't all there is. And one day God's gonna fix it up. One day there will not be any more suffering. And that's the hope that we hold on to. That's the hope that we hang on to. It's an extraordinary thing. And we can suffer for a number of different reasons. People may say, oh, maybe it's because of sin in your life and that may be the case. Uh, but it, it, it's not just because of that. We may suffer because we live in a sinful world and circumstances and situations just take place sometimes. But you know what? Sometimes you can even suffer right when you're in the middle of the will of God. And maybe you haven't thought about that before, but it's true. It really is true. You may be familiar with the story. I remember coming across this. I'd never seen it before. I've talked about it before, but you may come across the story where the disciples had been ministering with Jesus and he says to them, go in the boat and cross over the other side of, uh, of the lake. And out of obedience, they get in the boat. And so they start rowing and a huge storm starts coming and they all of a sudden get to a point where they are fearing for their lives and they are suffering. And Jesus had stayed back and he said, I'm gonna go up to the mountain and pray and seek the Father. And here they are just terrified for their lives and they're suffering in this moment thinking, what, you know, what's the go here? If we believe that suffering was only because of sin in our lives, we'd constantly be wondering, well, what have I done wrong? What have I done wrong? But here they are right in the center of God's will. They had obeyed him. They'd obeyed him and they find themselves suffering this moment. But Jesus comes, he walks on the water, encounters them and he teaches them extraordinary lesson. Teaches them a lesson around trust and faith. And it's an amazing experience for them. Uh, but God, it's not a waste. It's not meaningless. God does something. And this is what Paul is explaining as he talks about that we can even boast in our suffering. Even when we're walking in the will of God, we may suffer at times, but it's doing something in us. It's building perseverance and character and character builds hope uh, in our hearts. And so uh, he continues in verse five and says, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the great helper. Jesus said, it's better that I go because then I'll send you the helper. The Holy Spirit who dwells in you if you surrendered your heart and your life to Christ. He says, who has been given to us. An amazing thing. I wanna share with you, I'm not sure how much time I've used, but this is a good story, you'll like it. Um, I wanna share with you this story. I actually just heard it last night, but it's just the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us when we know God. And uh I recently read a book um, by, I don't know if you've heard of him, Lauren Cunningham. I must admit I hadn't heard of Lauren Cunningham before, but someone recommended this book to me. They, they recommended it twice, and I kind of brushed it off the first time. But then because they recommended it the second time, I was like, oh, maybe there's something in it. And there was something in it. No book has impacted my life more, honestly. It was amazing. It's a book by Lauren Cunningham. You may have heard of YWAM. And uh, he started YWAM. And he's still going today, still, you know, just charging. It's amazing. 87 years old now, but the passion that he has is extraordinary. I did not realize how big YWAM was globally. I did not realize how many young people they trained and sent out. It's absolutely remarkable. No book will inspire you more, although I'm throwing that out there now, but I'm pretty, fairly confident of that. Um, it's, um, no, it will. Honestly, it, it's so inspiring. I had moments of just 
reading it, just blown away and so inspired. And uh, anyway, I was listening to something by him last night and uh, just a sermon. I was cooking dinner and I was like, oh, I'll just listen to something. And, and he shared this story. Anyway, as he was sharing this story, he spoke about a time and he was talking about this very concept of the Holy Spirit in our lives and how the Holy Spirit speaks to us, how the Holy Spirit leads us. And uh, he shared about how one time he was in London and uh, there was a conference that was happening in London and there was uh, some Christians there that said, Lauren, would you like to come to this conference and hear this lady who's uh, speaking tonight? She's got a remarkable story. She was a very well-known, renowned psychologist throughout the world. And, uh, and they said, you know, would you like to come? He said, I'd love to hear her story. I'd love to come. So they took, brought him along. He sat in the second row, the front row. They gave him a seat there. And uh, the lady got up and she started to share her story. And she spoke about how she... You know, this lady was a prominent psychologist. She'd set up a practice and then several practices. She'd had a very successful business. It seemed like, you know, she had it all. And she said, but she was a full-blown atheist and didn't want a bar of God and she would employ staff. But, you know, she would often ask them if they were Christian because the last thing she wanted was Christian staff. And so she made sure she didn't employ any Christians or anything like that. She didn't want a bar of God or anything. But she said on one particular occasion, she was speaking at a conference and it was around psychology or something like that in a different country. She'd flown there, she's speaking, and she got on an airplane to fly back home. She said she got on the flight, sat in her seat, and there was a guy that was sitting beside her. And uh, she buckled up and they got ready for the flight. And then the guy just very kindly just, you know, asked her, you know, how she was going and then said, oh, you know, where do you live? And asked her a few questions. And she said, you know, I really didn't want to talk. I was tired. And, and I just kind of gave him a pretty quick answer. And that kind of probably a bit rudely turned my back on this guy and clearly said, you know, I didn't, I didn't want to talk much more. And so he didn't say any more. But she said, as about halfway through the flight, uh, she didn't realize, but she realizes now that uh, as a Christian, she said, he must have been praying, he must have been seeking God because in that moment, he turned about halfway through the flight. And he said, this is a bold statement, but he said this, he said, I see that you've had struggles with suicide. This is what he said to her. Now, she said this. She said it was an amazing thing that he said that because she said, I'd tried to commit suicide five times in my life. And she said, on the outside, it would seem like my whole life I had it all together, but actually on the inside, I was struggling big time. And I tried to commit suicide five times. And he said this statement, I see that you've had struggles with suicide. And then he said this, and she was totally in awe, but she didn't say anything too much. But she can, now she was, you know, he, uh, yeah, her attention was, was like, what, what, what's the guy? How did he know this? He pulled out this bit of paper and he started to write down, these are the steps to bring a person to suicide. And he wrote down these 16 steps or whatever it was. He wrote these steps down, but then he said, but these are the steps uh, to take to, to you know, get away from that in your life. And as he wrote down beside all these steps, he wrote down these Bible verses and explained you know, this whole situation. And he gave me this bit of paper and she said, I was absolutely floored. I was in awe of what was unfolding. It was like this guy knew my life, my story, the innermost you know, parts of my being. It was just floored by it. She really didn't say too much, but she said, I kept that bit of paper and I put it away in my pocket. She said, at the end of the flight, I was grabbing my bag and the guy again just said, hey, I just want to give you a book just as a gift. Um, you know, nothing, you know, that's all really just as a gift. He gave her a book and she said, I put that book in my bag. She said, I was so impacted by that conversation, so impacted. I went straight back to my practice and all my staff were there working. She said, I went into my office and I opened the book that that man had given me and I started to read the book. She said, as I started to read the book, I was so convicted, so impacted, so challenged. Um, she said, I fell down on my knees in front of all my staff uh, and she said, I fell down on my knees and I cried out to God. And she knew she desperately needed him. She said, I cried out to God and I surrendered my life to Christ. And from that moment on, she said, my life was never, ever the same again. And here she was on the stage and she was sharing her story and she was explaining. And then she said this. She said, that was 18 years ago that that moment happened. And she said, you know, but I've kept that bit of paper that that man had given me on that airplane 18 years ago. And she pulled it out. And there it was, that bit of paper that guy had given her. And she said, this is this bit of paper. Well, Lauren Cunningham was sitting in the front row because he had been invited. As he looked at the bit of paper, he could see the writing on it. And he said, that looks like my writing. And then she said, and here's the book. And she pulls out the book. And it was his book. And then she goes, he even signed it. And she opened up the front. And he said, that's my signature. And he goes, I didn't even recall the moment. I didn't even remember it. But he realized that was him on that plane. He remembers, it all came back to him. He remembers praying in that moment, seeking God. What is it that you want to say to this woman? And the Holy Spirit spoke to his heart and he said these words. And this woman's life was dramatically impacted and changed because of that moment. 
It's an amazing thing, the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And Paul says this, he says, and the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, the great helper who has been given to us. And I just want to say this, he goes on to say, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. It's an extraordinary ultimate act of sacrifice. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You know, I spoke to you at the start about an assurance that changes everything. That even if you're a Christian here tonight, to know deep within your soul, to have the deep assurance in your heart of who you are in him and all these amazing principles that Paul talks about. But further than that as well, even if you're here tonight or you're listening online, you're going, I don't have that assurance deep within my heart. Tonight, you can know that. Tonight, you can know what it means to have faith in God. Tonight, you can know what it means to surrender your life and your heart to him. You know, too often you've held back because you've said, I don't want to give my life up. I don't want, because you're scared and you're fearful and you're worried. And I understand that and I get that because you you feel like you won't be in control of your life anymore. But the greatest thing you could do is to give your life to a holy and a good father, heavenly father who has a good plan and a good purpose for your life. And he knows you better than you know yourself. And that's what's holding you back. You say, I don't want to, I don't want to lose control. But it's the greatest step you could ever take. The greatest step you can ever do is to give control to him and he will lead you in greater, way better direction and path than you could ever imagine for your life because he's a good father. And when you encounter him, his word says, taste and see, taste and see. And when you taste and when you experience the creator of God, your life will never be the same again. It can't be. He's too good. He's too good. And so tonight you have an opportunity to say, I want that God. I need that in my life. You know, deep down in your heart, you do. And it's an opportunity to say, I want that. It's a simple prayer, you know, that's all it is. You don't need to know everything about God. I I didn't when I came to faith. But you you can just say, God, I need you in my heart and I need you in my life. So as Paul describes these amazing things, we discover that we're justified. We have access to God's grace. We can boast in the hope of the glory of God, as well as the suffering which produces perseverance in our lives and character and hope. And God has poured out his spirit into our hearts, demonstrating his love for us by dying for us. And you know, not only that, tonight we have an opportunity to say, God, I want more of you. As I just shared before about the power of the Holy Spirit, you know, it's the same Holy Spirit that Lauren encountered, the same Holy Spirit that even Peter on the day of Pentecost, as he said, repent and be baptized, the same Holy Spirit that spoke through Peter, the apostle Peter then. It's the same Holy Spirit today. And you can experience more of God in your heart and your life as we surrender and say, God, I want more of you. I want more of you in my heart and my life. And tonight we're going to have an opportunity to say, God, I just want to be anointed. I just want to be prayed for. and I just want more of you in my heart. And so, Father, we thank you for your word tonight. We thank you so much, Lord, uh, for the, you know, there's maybe just one. I'm emotional, Lord, because there may be just one here tonight. And he knows, or she knows who she is. And she says, I don't have an assurance. And he says, I don't have an assurance in my heart. But I thank you, God, that you've made it so simple. That's the amazing thing. You've made it so simple that we could know you. You've made it so simple that we could have a relationship with you. You've made it so simple that we could be known by you and loved by you and valued by you. To be filled with your spirit, great God, you've made it so simple. You know who you are tonight. And I have to give you an opportunity to say, God, I just want you in my heart and in my life. You can just pray this simple prayer in your head and in your heart. Dear God, I need you. Dear God, thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising again. Forgive me for my sin, past, present, future, and fill me now with your spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. I surrender my life to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I thank you for that person. That just in this very moment, you know, all of heaven celebrates. Word says that even when one person responds to you even when one person surrenders their heart all of heaven celebrates and we celebrate too God because this is the greatest decision that anyone could ever make and I'm also conscious Lord that for many of us we understand and we've heard this many times before but I just want to pray God and maybe it comes back to that thing I wrote down before that you might let 
There the Spirit lit the flame. There the Spirit lit the flame. And I just pray tonight as we respond to you that you might lit that, just light the flame in our hearts. Fan it into flame, great God. Just a deep hunger and a desire for you. A deep hunger in our hearts to say, I want more of God. Some of you have grown cold. Some of you have turned your back. Some of you have thought that you could never get back. Oh, I used to be passionate, but not anymore. Don't believe the lie for a second that God wants to stir and fan into flames the passion that you once had. And tonight you can respond to him and say, I just want more of you, God. And he'll answer that prayer every single time. And so, Father God, just meet us where we are. We just humbly come before you tonight in an act of worship. And we just say, God, we want to meet with you. God, we want to encounter you. God, we want you to just come and fill this place with your presence and your love and your grace and just pour it out upon our hearts and lives. We're not expecting any extraordinary scene. We just want you. And we want you, Spirit, to come and do what only you can do and how you want to do it. That's up to you, God. But we want to meet with you tonight, Lord, we pray. So, Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we want to worship you now because you're so worthy in your precious and holy name. Amen. Let's stand up on our feet because we're going to do that now. Jump up on your feet. And let's worship and honour our great God, King of kings and Lord of lords. But you know, tonight, we've maybe mentioned it before, but it is Pentecost Sunday. It's a significant moment. And um, I just want to invite you. It doesn't matter you know, where you're at, but I just want to invite you to just tonight, we've got the pastoral team and some other prayers. And they're here and we've got some uh, anointing oil as well. And we would just love to pray for you. And it's not, the response is not about anything necessarily significant. It's just a desire to say, God, I want more of you. And to just come down and say, I want more of God. I want more of God in my heart and my life. And we'd love to pray for you, anoint you and say, God, do a, just do a mighty work. Do a work in our hearts, we pray. So don't miss this opportunity to be prayed for tonight as we just worship and honour our great God. Yeah, let's do that.
And we lift you up. And Lord God, we want to just declare right now that you are holy. And so, Father, we just want to lift our voice one last time. We want to say, Lord God, there's no other name but the name of Jesus. And we can boldly come into the throne room of grace this morning. Lord God, be lifted high. But will you join us? You sing. the strength to love as you do. Father, we pray that you would help us to channel your love. We thank you that you enabled us to boldly step into your throne room, that we have access to the Lord God Almighty, not just once, not just twice, but every single day we can come to you justified, wiped clean, made perfect by the blood of Christ come before you, our loving Father, and just dwell in your presence. Have your presence, in fact, your spirit dwell in us. So I wanna pray for those this evening who responded, who want more of you, and Lord, we say less of us and more of you. Empty us of ourselves to be filled afresh with your spirit, that we may glorify you in everything that we do, Lord. We commit this week to you. We pray for a special blessing upon these guys tonight. Father, move, speak to them, work through them. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.
Thanks so much for joining with us this evening. It's been wonderful to have you with us. Don't forget burrito bowls in the courtyard. We can't wait to connect with you soon. Thanks so much, guys.